One Hope Church. You know, it's a matter of perspective. Some people look at 2016 and go, man, that was a, a really great year. And, you know, it's usually because of what they experienced personally in that year, things that were good. And for some people, they say, well, 2016 was a terrible year. And that's usually because of certain things they personally experienced um, during that year. You know, but the scripture tells us to rejoice with those who rejoice and to weep with those who weep. And one of the challenges that I think we have as followers of Jesus is being willing and able to switch back and forth between that, like all the time, um, even in the same day, you know, from seeing one person to seeing another person to go from, you know, celebrating to mourning, um, you know, and that's a that's a challenge for us. But in the spirit of God, it's. And we're, when we're in the spirit of God, that is possible, you know, to be able to do, to be able to celebrate the good and to be able to mourn, you know, the bad. Um, certainly in our world, 2016 had its fair share of sorrow. And, and of course, um, that's played out in individual, you know, people's lives. Uh, it also had its share of, of joys for people as people, you know, were married and people welcomed you know, new life um, into the world, and you know they cherish and, and celebrate you know those um, those moments. So, for different people, even in our own community, um, 2016 was either more positive or more or more negative. But in any case, um, you know the the calendar has changed. But what we have to remember in that is that doesn't mean that all those situations have changed. People are still wrestling with things. People are still dealing with things. People still have their sorrows and have their, their joys. And people still need, and we all need, Jesus every single day. Um, whether it's good or bad or somewhere in the middle, we need Jesus every day, every hour, you know, every, every moment. Um, and we're going to continue this morning in the book of Acts in chapter 9, verse, beginning in verse 31. But I'm going to toss some things in together with this um, new year. And I, th- I think it works, um, you know, kind of, kind of well. And so we'll, we'll roll with that um, this morning. But let's go to the Lord in prayer. And Father, this morning we come to you and we have proclaimed already your name, dear God, and your love and your, your goodness. We have claimed, in, as we have sung, that your son, Jesus, is all to us. Yet, um, in reality, or if we're honest with you and with others and with ourselves, that just isn't true all the time. Um, we know it isn't. And yet, that is a desire of your spirit within us, the spirit that testifies to our spirit and our spirit longs and desires for that as well, Lord, but our flesh resists, our flesh says no, our flesh does not want that level of intimacy, does not want that level of surrender, but desires to keep you a safe distance away. And so in this year, Lord, I pray that you would break down our defenses, that we would surrender more fully to you, that we would spend more time at your feet, dear Jesus. We would learn from you. You would change us from the inside out, that yes, Lord, we would do the good works that you have prepared before us, even before the foundation of the earth. We would do that in your spirit, in your love and your grace, with just great closeness to you, dear God. Help us to be resolute in our pursuit of that greater intimacy. In your name, Jesus, we ask it. Amen. So where we left off um, in the book of Acts in chapter 9, Saul, who we know better by his Greek name, Paul, had become a follower of Jesus. 
where Jesus meets him on the road to Damascus and rocks his world, uh, you know, completely, you know, unexpected, in an unexpected way. Um, you know, it's interesting. I had a privilege of of doing the the wedding of Ainsley and Dylan um, on Friday evening, and what, you know, one thing I said in the wedding was, you know, why'd you come? To, why'd you come here this evening? You know, you probably didn't come here to hear a message from God. You know, you came here because you're friends with these people and you want to support them, or you're a friend of the family. But perhaps someone, you know, here would be surprised by joy, surprised by hope, surprised by grace and by God. And, you know, that's what really happened to Paul as he was going on the road to, the, to Damascus. He, he was not intending to encounter the living Christ. Um, but he was surprised by a great Savior and a great King. Um, and I think that that's a great prayer for people that we know um, who don't know the Lord, people who are even resistant to the Lord, that we pray in, in 2017 that they would be surprised by joy, um, surprised by our Savior and King. Um, and so, you know, we know that he had been persecuting the, the church and was a, a primary reason the church was under such great persecution. But when he comes to know the Lord, you know, that puts the brakes on everything. It puts the brakes on all of that persecution. You think it, you know, it has to rock the community of the persecutors as their chief persecutor has now gone to the other, other team, gone to the other side. And so it says in verse 31, then the church through throughout all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had peace and were edified and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, they were multiplied. Amen? Amen to that? Um, you know, it wasn't a permanent peace. We, knew, we know as we read the, the history of the early church that more persecution is going to come, but they, they enjoy this time of peace, and, and what are the keys of that time of peace? And that time of encouragement, as it says that they were they were edified, which is really an encouragement with some extra oomph to it. That's what edification is. It's encouragement with with power, with the power of God in it. It's not just a human like, come on, you got this, you know, sort of thing. But it it, it comes from the Spirit of God. So what are the keys of it? It says that they were walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. I think those two things are, are, are really key. They were, they were walking in the, the fear of the Lord. Now, many times, again, we, we don't like that idea of fear because we want you know, God to be... Um, we, we want, you know, people today, it's like we want God, like a buddy-buddy sort of thing. Where you're on, you know, like equal terms. Equal power in the relationship. And so God is, you know, becomes this friend and, is, and you can say no to your friend when your friend asks you to do something that you don't really want to do. And a lot of times we've, re, we've reduced God to being a friendly mentor who's a little further down the road that we can go to in a time of of trouble, time of of help, that we need help. But he's also somebody that you can say no to when he asks us to change something in our lives or to be different than we are or to have a different attitude or a different perspective. But that's not who God is. We know that God is the Almighty, the Creator, the one who gives us breath, the one who has the power. He literally has the power to cease and to stop everything in an instant. I mean, he says the word and our entire universe implodes upon itself and it is no more. I mean, that's how powerful God is. And he is holy. He is perfect. No sin can be in his presence and he hates sin. He abhors sin, as the scripture tells us. He, and, he, and he hates it. He hates the sin. He doesn't hate us, but he, he hates the sin that is in our lives, and he hates the sin that we allow to hang around in our lives. He actually hates that with a holy, furious 
passion. He is a holy God. He always has been. He always will be. That has not changed. But he's also gracious and compassionate and patient and loving. Loving to the point that, you know, God puts on human flesh. The Son of God, Christ, comes and lives among us and suffers and dies at the cross for our sins. That's no greater, I mean, there is no greater love. You ever think to doubt God's love in your life because of the circumstances that you're going through, you know, look to the cross. Look to the cross and see again the love of God there displayed, fully evident for you. But my point with that is just that we, we still have a, we have a, a need to respect God. We need to respect God. And I hope that that doesn't come across this morning as, as harsh, but it's just the truth. It's just a very basic reality that we need to have a reverence and a respect for God. And what that means is that we understand that he is holy and that he makes a distinction between what is holy and what is not holy. It means that we can't afford to take our sin lightly and act like it's no big deal. It means that even his name, as the scripture tells us, is holy and it's to be revered and it's, it's not to be used, you know, flippantly. You know, and we see this, you know, all the time, you know, in our world. We see, you know, as you go to work, people just use the name of God. As you watch the television, people just use the name of God as if it's nothing. But sometimes even in the church, the name of God is just thrown around as a filler word. A word just to say. It's like, wait, do we understand who we are actually referring to, who we're actually talking about here? And what it betrays is a lack of understanding in our own hearts and minds of the awesomeness of God and our creator. You know, and, and, and our position. You, know, you throw names around, you throw my name around. You know, I'm, I'm nothing. But don't throw around the name of God. Throw around each other's names. Throw around the name of your dog, whatever. But not the name of God. He is holy. He is pure. And so we need to have a respect for him. And what does that respect cause us to do? Um, Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 or 2. And I think these are great verses um, to start a year with. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and the sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. We'll continue. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, that you do not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding of blood. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard the lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises everyone whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure, for God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? Now, those are really powerful verses, but it starts, you know, hey, you're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. And here, you know, we just had in chapter 11, the chapter of faith, you know, like the hose and the eternal state bear witness to our lives. But we also recognize you know, others in our community are also watching our lives. Like, and it does matter how we live and how we respond to adversity and how we respond to trials because we have an opportunity in all of that to give testimony of the greatness of our God and that Jesus is our one hope, that we really do love and, and trust in him. But so it says to lay aside every weight and the sin which clings to us so closely. You know, the reality is, 
sin clings to you and I closely. I mean, that's just reality. Like, in our flesh, what does our flesh want to do? Sin. I mean, our flesh wants to sin. Our flesh gravitates towards sin. Our flesh is not neutral, or, and it's not, it doesn't gravitate to you know, all that is holy and all that is of God. It actually gravitates toward what is unholy. It, it gravitates toward perversion. And so that's why we have to lay aside all the weights and the sin. Now, it says weight and sin, and it seems like he's making some bit of distinction there. And sometimes the sin is stuff that, you know, the burdens that we carry around that we shouldn't be carrying around. Because what does Jesus say to us? Come on to me, all you who are burdened and heavy laden. You know, we're supposed to cast our burdens down before the Lord. A lot of times we're carrying the stuff. We think, oh, I've got to carry this, the stuff that's in my life and the stuff that's in other people's lives. And it's somehow my responsibility or your responsibility to solve all of my problems and to solve everybody else's problems too. You know, that we're going to be the great fixers. We're going to be the great fixers of everybody's junk. So, you know, just pile it up on me, pile it up on you. We'll carry it. And a lot of times that comes from a good place. It comes from a place of, of love and concern, you know, for our own lives, but for the lives of other people. Like we want these people to know God and to do well and all of these things. And some, we, are, we carry their weights, but, you know, really people with our weights and with their weights, we have to take them to Jesus and lay them down there. Because he's the one who can actually help us, and he's the one who can actually help them. And yes, certainly he uses us in that endeavor, but I'm afraid that sometimes we miss, we miss it, and we think that we're the ones who are actually going to do the fixing. And if we want to know whether you're whether you are seeking Jesus to do the fixing or whether you're seeking to do the fixing yourself. Just evaluate how much time is spent in prayer for that situation, for that person, versus trying to you know, talk to that person and help that person with their problems. That's the only ratio you need to look at. It's the only ratio I need to look at. And when I'm honest and when I look at that, a lot of times I look at it and I go, Man, I'm trying to be Jesus, but I'm not Jesus. I got to take this to Jesus. I got to take this to, and, and do the work there. Do the work there at the feet of Jesus for these people. And then when we do that, what we find is when we actually do have those conversations, we have more to give those people. Why? Because we've spent more time with Jesus. And when you spend more time with Jesus, you become more like Jesus. We become like those we spend more time with. If we want to become more like Jesus, we have to spend more time with Jesus. want us to be really mindful of that because it says here in verse 2 what tells us to to run with endurance the race that is set before us it uses that illustration of a race because you know running takes endurance those things go together unless it's a short you know sprint but that's not the type of running he talks about and even those who you know run short sprints they run a lot they don't just like they don't run at all and it's like now i'm going to go run a hundred yard dash competitively you know, that doesn't really work, right? There's a lot of endurance that it takes, even for sprinters. But he has a, a long view here. You know, the race of, you know, from when you come to believe in Jesus to your last breath, to your, see him face to face, that's your race. That's your race. And it's going to take some, from, you know, that's, that's usually a number of years for people. And so that sort of race takes a sort of an, an endurance to run that race that is set before us. And to do so, we need to look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. 
the author and finisher of our faith, Jesus. Our eyes have to be on, on him. Because if we just look at the race itself, it's daunting, it's overwhelming. In fact, it's impossible. Because it's impossible to run this race without Jesus and without having our eyes on Jesus. You know, because it, it, it's not just a physical race and it's not just a mental race. It's a spiritual race and you can't run that spiritual race without Jesus, without having eyes on him. And having our eyes on him in the race I think is, helps us to accomplish something that's extremely valuable, extremely important here. And that has to do, that has to do with the lies. That has to do with the lies. Because when we're looking at Jesus, we don't believe the lies so much. We don't believe the lies. And what I'm coming to understand, you know, more and more in this life is that so many times we are, we are bound by lies. We are limited, we are inhibited, we are often ineffectual because of the lies that we believe. We believe lies about God and his purposes for us. We believe lies about ourselves and who we are and our value and what God can accomplish through us. We believe lies about our church, lies about other people. We believe all sorts of lies. And those lies are weights and snares that keep us from running and running well. They are lies from the father of lies from the pit of hell. But the reality is each one of us has or does now Believe lies about ourselves. Has in the past or does now. Nobody is immune from this in their lives. You know, back to Acts 9 real quick. Um, I'll just read this real fast. 32 through 35. It says, Now it came to pass, as Peter went through all the parts of the country, that he also came down to the saints who dwelt in Lydia. And there he found a certain man named Aeneas who had been bedridden eight years and was paralyzed. And Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus the Christ heals you. Arise and make your bed. Then he arose immediately. And so all who dwelt at Lydia and Sharon saw him and turned to the Lord. Now, that man had been paralyzed for eight years. When he had been able to walk in, you know, now he can't. Now, the paralysis isn't a law. He had a real paralysis. I mean, that wasn't something like he just like made up. You know, that was a truth. That was a truth that he couldn't walk. And I don't want to, you know, speculate, you know, too much here. But my question for you is, yes, that was the truth. But what lies did he believe during those eight years? What lies did he believe about God and God's goodness or lack of goodness? Did he doubt that? Did he question that? What lies did he believe about his own self-worth? Because now he couldn't do the things that he always could do before. So where does he find his value if he can no longer do for himself and he needs <laughs> others to do for him? What he could do for himself and what he could do for other people, now we need other, he needs other people to do for him. What lies does he believe about himself in that experience? And I, you know, and I don't have the answer to that question because I'm not God and I don't know the man. But I know what human tendency is. I know what our human tendencies are as people. And we have a tendency to believe lies. We just do. We just do. And so we, we put all these limiters, we put limiters on our value, we put limiters on, on what we can accomplish and, and the good that we can do in our world, 
based on circumstances, based on what happens to us. You know, and that's where we where people get a, you know, life isn't fair mentality. And because life isn't fair, I don't have to try anymore. I don't have to do anymore. And it's a it's a mental paralysis. It's a spiritual paralysis that that takes place there. And so the question that I have there for us is as we enter this new year, what what law do you need Jesus to free you from? What law about God? What lie about yourself? What lie about God's purpose for you on this earth? What, what lie is there that needs to be identified? And, you know, sometimes that's a painful process. That's painful to realize, one, I believe a lie. It's painful to realize the repercussions of believing that lie and the, the loss of, well, if I hadn't believed that law for how many ever years, what could be different? You know, there's some loss there and there's some pain there. We need Jesus to heal all that and to help us to move forward. As the scripture says, forgetting the things that are behind and pressing on toward the goal of Christ Jesus. And, and that's a reality you know, whether, the, whether your past is largely good or largely bad. So that's another, that's an, I mean, it's, again, it's another law. I mean, the enemy just comes at it so many different ways. Hey, you're doing great. You can chill out, relax, enjoy. And you don't have to take everything, you know, just float for a bit. You've been doing so awesome. And then we can take our eyes off of Jesus. We can take our eyes off of Jesus. But looking unto him, and he's a great example for us because he saw the joy that was set before him and he endured the cross. And what was the joy that was set before him? The church. The church was set before him, not a physical institution, you know, not an institution, not a physical building, but his true followers, those who would spend time at his feet, those who would follow him where he walked, they would walk. When he said go, they would go. When he said do, they would do. That was the joy that was set before him. And for that joy, he went to the cross. Do you understand? We have the privilege of being the joy of Jesus. We have the privilege of being the joy of Jesus. Well, that should cause us, man, I want to run well this race of life because it brings Jesus joy when I do. And that all, again, has to be sourced at him. It starts with, you know, at his feet. It starts at his feet. But then he's, he enjoys it when I run well with him, when I'm obedient, when I, when I go further and farther, when I take those steps of faith because he's asked me to. Like he said to Peter, come out of the boat. Peter got to walk on that water for a little bit. And so when he says to us, to you and to me, come out a little bit further, come out a little bit deeper, Let's go. And we do that. It brings him joy. But our flesh says no. Our flesh says it's too hard. Our flesh says it costs too much. Our flesh says it's not fun. Our flesh says it's just too much work. And it's, our flesh says it's not worth it. And we end up believing those lies. And so we stay in the boat. We don't believe in those laws, and so we stay in the boat. At least, 
some of the times. Don't want to make that a universal always sort of statement. Sometimes you 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 can look back in your life and say, man, that was a point where I did step out of the boat. And how was it when you did? Remember a time when you stepped out of the boat because Jesus called you to, you did, and what was the, do you remember that? Do you remember the joy you experienced in that? And yet it was hard. And you may remember that it was hard. You may remember that it was difficult and it was, it was a struggle. But when you did that, what was that like? The reality in that story is that you can't have the safety of the boat and that experience with Jesus at the same time. Like the, the, you got to pick. you got to pick. You can't have the safety of the boat and at that same moment, that same time, have that experience of walking on the water with Jesus. We see, we want the safety of the boat and that experience. And it's just not, it, it, it isn't possible. It just isn't possible. It just isn't. We have to understand that, acknowledge that, and make a decision. So they had that respect for God. They had their eyes on Jesus. Scripture says it here as the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit. The comfort of the Holy Spirit. And man, do we need the comfort of the Holy Spirit. Because when we get in there with Jesus and all that, you know, that junk, the lies and everything gets exposed... We need the comfort of the Holy Spirit. When we see more clearly sin as God sees sin, and it's devastating consequences, we need the comfort of the Holy Spirit. When we see more the brokenness of our world the way God sees the brokenness of our world, when we see pain and suffering as God sees pain and suffering, we need the comfort of the Holy Spirit. I mean, I just challenge us that, you know, even just watching the news or going to bbc.com or whatever you go to, and just doing that in your own flesh, if I'm just going to read the news, like, man, don't we need the comfort of the Holy Spirit when we see what's going on all over in our world and even in our own communities and our own cities? Don't we need the comfort of the Holy Spirit? And we need the comfort of the Holy Spirit that reminds us that Jesus is still the Savior and Jesus is still the King. He's still the Savior and He's still the King. And that one day He's going to wipe away every tear from our eyes. He's going to make all things new. But until that day happens, we need that comfort of the Holy Spirit We need that encouragement. We need that edification because we still have a race to run. Until we draw our last breath and see Jesus face to face, see him as he is and become fully like him in every way, with no inhibitions, with no even little lie hanging on, we still have a race to run day by day. But that race is to be run looking to Jesus, and it's a constant looking. Because whenever we take our eyes off of Jesus in that race, we get distracted. We're like squirrel. You know, we just we, you know, we just go off the side. And then we have to go, oh wait, all right, I you know, we oh shiny thing. You know, we look over at shiny thing. And, and we want to go pick it up and hold it and make it precious and have it take the place of Jesus. Oh, there's another shiny thing. And how many times in our lives are we running the race and, and we're just like, oh, there's a shiny thing over there. And it takes us away from Jesus. It takes us away from, from focus, being focused on him and, and looking 
at him. We have an example, beginning in verse 36. Let's look at this woman named uh, Tabitha. It says, at Joppa, there was a certain disciple named Tabitha, which is translated Dorcas. And this woman was full of good works and charitable deeds, which she did. But it happened in those days that she became sick and died. And when they had washed her, they laid her in an upper room. And since Lydia was near Joppa and the disciples had heard that Peter was there, they sent two men to him, ignoring him not to delay in coming to them. And then Peter arose and went with them. And when he had come, they brought him to the upper room. And all the widows stood by him weeping, showing the tunics and garments which Dorcas had made while she was with them. But Peter put them all out and knelt down and prayed and turned to the body. He said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes. And when she saw Peter, she sat up. And then he gave her his hand and lifted her up. And when he had called the saints and widows, he presented her alive. And it became known throughout all Joppa. And many believed on the Lord. And so it was that he stayed many days in Joppa with Simon, a tanner. What a great example Tabitha is with us. It says her name's translated Dorcas, I think, in English. Probably just want to call her Tabitha. Dorcas is a little, you know, too easy to make, make fun of, I guess. Um, but she became full of good works. She was full of good works and charitable deeds, which she did. She's an example that when she died, all these widows came and says, and they laid out the garments that she had made for them. How beautiful is that? That labor of love, the time and care that she took. The time she could have spent doing you know, other things. She spent providing for the needs of the widows in her community. And it says all the saints and widows, and it's not clear here that all of those widows were you know, believers already. But she's a, she was a woman who did, did good. She was full of good works and charitable deeds. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. And so, you know, when she died, the community wept because they, they felt a sense of loss, of you know, who this woman was and, and how she loved them. Because what those, what those, when they laid out those garments that she had made for them, what that represented was Tabitha's practical love for them. It represented the practical love. It represented, you know, a real deep care that she had and that she had for people that many others would, you know, overlook and not care about, and it's not my problem. But she took the instructions of the Lord and of the apostles, you know, seriously in her faith. You know, you didn't have to question, does Tabitha really believe in Jesus or not? This is evidence in how she lived. This is evidence in how the community around her responded to her death. It's a beautiful thing. Again, it's not, obviously not that her making of those garments, you know, saved her. It was part of her salvation, but it was, it was evidence. And her life was full of good works, charitable deeds. That's an example for us in 2017, for sure. Um, so this is, this is what I have for final thoughts for us as we look at this passage, because it says at the end of verse 31 that they were walking the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit. It says they were multiplied. And I think we can all agree that that's a good prayer for our church here in 2017, is that we would walk in the fear of the Lord, we'd have the encouragement of the Holy Spirit, and that we would be multiplied. That it wouldn't just be addition but it'd be multiplication. And and that indicates a move of of God because we recognize and we acknowledge we can't just manufacture. 
you know, we don't want to just manufacture. You know, and intentionally we, we do things that, that keep us from just manufacturing. Because we know that what we want is something authentic that Jesus does. We don't want something that we've just made and manufactured. We don't want to just say, well, we have strategized our way into a bigger church. That's not what we want. But we want a move of the Holy Spirit, a move of God in us and through us and the lives of other people that multiplies his church. And as we've seen in the book of Acts, we see that church becoming more and more diverse in its makeup with more and more different ethnicities involved in it. If we want to pray that we would be more like the church of Acts, that's part of the picture, I think. And what we see what we see in the book of Revelation around the throne of God is you see people from every tribe and every tongue and every people. But we have an opportunity here in this diverse city. We have an opportunity to be a, a prophetic picture of uh, just a little taste of what that'll look like and be like one day around the throne of God. We have that opportunity and potential there before us. But let me ask us this question as we wrap up. What's the difference between a wish and a resolution? A lot of people's New Year's resolutions are just wishes. You know, it's kind of like, I wish to run a marathon. It's like, you know, goals, run a marathon. Or run a half a marathon. Or run a 5K, or whatever it is. Or read the New Testament this year. Or read the Old Testament this year. Or read the whole Bible this year. Well, what takes that? What, what's, what makes that... A, you know, a wish and what makes that a resolution? What's the difference between those things? The real difference between those things is one does not have a commitment to hard work and the other does have a commitment to hard work. That's the, I mean, that's the bottom line. You know, we say, I want, you know, make a list and put it on your piece of paper and say, I want to all day long, you know, every year, I want to. But unless there's a commitment to do the hard work, it's not going to happen. It's just not going to happen. And so this is what happens a lot of times, you know, because people start, you know, here in January, it's like, okay, I'm going to do this. And the moment any sort of hard time, difficulty, wait, this isn't, this isn't easy. We found out that it was just a wish. And it's quickly forgotten. It's gone and it's done. Because, you know, that Bible isn't going to attack you every morning. You know, open itself on your face. And, you know, and start reading itself to you. Now, actually, with your phone, you can practically make that happen. You can, it can practically attack you in the morning and just start reading the Bible to you. I mean, you, could, I mean, you got a pretty big advantage. You know, we have a pretty big advantage with, with that. But, you know, those 20 minutes, those 10 minutes or 20 minutes or whatever, don't just, you know, magically appear where you find yourself at the feet of Jesus you know, reading his word and, and praying, it just doesn't, it doesn't just like, ooh, there, I wrote it down on a piece of paper, so therefore it happens. It's not, it doesn't work like that. It doesn't work like that. There has to be a commitment that I'm going to take that time, I'm going to make that time, and I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. And that's really what it comes down to between what we do accomplish and what we don't accomplish. 
so much of that is just de dependent on that commitment to do the hard work or the not committing to do the hard work, one or the other. But the thing that I'm most concerned about for all of us is that we do the hard work of discipline to spend the time at the feet of Jesus. Because that's where all of our other doing needs to be sourced in. You know, we go back to that story of Mary and Martha. And yes, you know, people got to eat and things have to be done. So work has to be done, right? It's not that Martha was wrong to ever cook a meal. Of course, we had, you know, of course the meals had to be cooked. It's just in that moment, in that time, what was better and what was necessary. You see, Jesus was right there present. And if you just ask Jesus, can you just, you know, he could, you know, just say, boom, meals on the table. It's done. And you can spend that time at the feet of Jesus. But the point of it is that Jesus is making in that whole thing is that he has to be the priority. Then comes our knowing and our doing. But the first thing is to be with him and to know him for who he is so he can work in our hearts and make us more like him. That that's where it starts. That's where, you know, if you have your list, if you've already made your list, if you don't make a list, Whatever, just put down one thing. If you put down one thing, put down one thing in 2017, and that's more time at the feet of Jesus. More time at the feet of Jesus. And then make that time. Make that time. Put a wall around that time. Protect that time. You know, and I don't want to become legalistic about this, but... You know, it's kind of interesting that in our time, in our day, in our culture, the scriptures that say, you know, all throughout the scriptures as we read, you know, in the morning I will, you know, rise and praise your name. And, you know, when I go to bed, I will remember your name. And we make it somehow that beginning the day and ending the day with God has now become this great legalism. Well, is that a lie that we believe? Is that a lie that we believe that, you know, making time for God... Every day is legalistic, and it becomes obligatory, and you don't want to have a relationship with God like that. So, you know, at your leisure, pray. At your leisure, pick up the Word of God. Well, that seems contrary to what the Scriptures encourage us to do as we would start our day with, with God and we would end our day with God. Because, you know, when you start your day with God and you're in, in your day with God, and as the scripture tells us to, you know, pray continuously, and so you're having conversation as you go throughout the day with God, if we begin with God and we go with God and we finish with God, it's kind of hard to mess up your life with a bunch of sin. Kind of hard to mess up your life. It's kind of hard to have that affair. It's kind of have the hard to have the affair when you woke up in the morning with with God. And throughout the day, you went praying with God. And at night, when you're in bed, you're talking to God. It's kind of hard to have time or to have the attention or to get drugged down and to commit those sort of sins. It's kind of hard to do that. So what the enemy wants, us to, wants to do is to say, well, you know, that's all legalism. That's all legalistic. It's at your leisure. So you got all these, you got these gaps where you go, you can go a week without hearing from the Lord, without spending time in his word, without praying. Well, I don't know about your flesh, but my flesh can go a long ways in a week. My flesh can go a long ways in 48 hours. More time at the feet of Jesus, more sharing of the gospel, which those things are going to go hand in hand. If, I, if you spend more time at Jesus, it's kind of hard not to tell others about him because he's the, he becomes the greatest influence. And people, tell people about the greatest influence. More sharing of the gospel and the more doing of good for the glory of God and the benefit of our world. Those are the lessons that we have for us 
And may the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit be with us. We certainly need that. Each and every day we need it. And sometimes life happens in such a way that you recognize your need for that more and more. And if that hasn't happened in your life yet, assuredly it will. Just a matter of time. I hate to be the bearer of bad news on a New Year's day, like in terms, but it's a matter of time when your world will be rocked. And will the comfort of the Holy Spirit, will that be natural and easily accessible for you because you're walking with Jesus day by day? Or will it have to be a reset to find that again? So let's spend time, even now at the feet of Jesus, as we take the bread and the cup, we ask him to expose those lies, expose those lies about ourselves, about him, about our church, about anything, but that we would lay those down at the feet of Jesus. We would lay those burdens down that we carry with us, that we would lay those at the feet of Jesus as we take the bread and the cup this morning and we say, Jesus, you are sufficient for all these things and we lay these things at your feet. We remember that what you did on the cross, bigger than all my sin, bigger than all my failures, bigger than all my lies, It's sufficient for everything. And in you, everything I need is in you. That is the truth, and I acknowledge that it's true. And Father God, we acknowledge that that's true this morning. But yet in our practical day-to-day lives, so many times we still believe the lies. So help us, Lord Jesus. Free us as only you can, by the power of your Holy Spirit. In your name, Jesus, we ask it.